Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pour Over Podcast, what is an extension of Peaks and Valleys. In this space, we seek to share the table with storytellers and sinkers alike, hopefully and almost certainly over a great cup of coffee because we know that brings people to the table. We seek and want to see you flourish in your mental health journey. I'm your host, Jonathan Coggins. And I'm Kyle Ridgely, and I hope that this space is safe and inclusive for all. Welcome to the table. Hello, Peaks and Valleys, and welcome to another episode of the Forever Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jonathan Coggins, and I'm joined by my other host, Kyle Ridgely. What's up? Oh, I almost said Mr. again. We, we've we had this conversation before, yeah. though. I can't well, call you Mr. anymore. Mr. <laughs> no, no. Kyle, how are you doing on this Monday, sir? You know, I'm doing pretty good. It's a little rainy here where we're at, so it kind of makes you feel a little sluggish. Um, had a couple errands to run and then had a job interview, so that I'm trying to figure that out. So, But that was pretty much my day. So had a great smothered like biscuit from this place that's around here. It's called Biscuit Head. I haven't been there at all since I've lived up here, so it was really good. So that was good. A good breakfast, good time, new opportunity. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. How was your first time at Biscuit Head? Was it magical? Uh, it, because it was for it, me. The first time I it went. It was very magical, but I felt like I should not have eaten that heavy of food before I went to an interview. So, you know, <laughs> it's kind of sluggish the rest of the day, but you know, I made it. It was like, it was called the filthy animal. So it had like fried chicken and egg and bacon and then the gravy was cajun bacon gravy so um, so it was good but i think i should not have eaten that before <laughs> so, but hey it was it was still enjoyable <laughs> either way i mean treat yourself right right <laughs> yeah i should have got a mimosa but i was like ah, i probably don't need to get a mimosa it's too it's too early in the day to get a mimosa right now <laughs> oh gosh Kyle, you kill me. I love you. You kill me. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm glad you've had a good day. You treated yourself and you had an interview. That's positive, man. So good stuff. Good stuff. Um, how's your, you know, how's your mental health through, you know, what we talked about on our last episode, you know, just kind of navigating, um, looking for a job again and, all those yeah. kind of things. How's Kyle doing in, in navigating all that? It's It's been uh, definitely a lot of shifting really quickly. So over the past 30 days, there's been a lot of a lot of life that's happened and a lot of different, uh, I guess, pivoting, if you will. Um, and so I've luckily, you know, I'm thankful that I've been kind of um, at a content state mentally, um, nice. but it still feels like I'm a little out of balance and living that in that space of living with ADHD and trying to find a rhythm again is interesting. So um, <laughs> that consistency that I feel like, at least for my experience in ADHD, is having that routine that once it's gone, it's it's really hard to like uh, stay focused on things that I should. So um, 
you know, I was supposed to wake up and go with you and your wife to church or whatever. And uh, I dreamt that I woke up and was getting yeah ready. And then you called me and then you said, oh, are you going to be here? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I called you back five minutes later and like, um, sorry, I messed up. <laughs> so it's been kind of like that, just kind of spacey a little bit, um, kind of out of it a little bit. I kind of just going with the flow. So, um, but other than that, I feel like I'm good and I'm good in mental space, just trying to find a, a balance and a rhythm uh, in life again. So. Yeah. What's, what's been one good practice that you've implemented for your mental health recently? Um, uh, I think letting go and relinquishing control of things mm, that I that's do good. have. I have a, I'm a perfectionist. I'm a planner by nature. Um, but relinquishing that, um, obviously over the last couple of years, we've been talking about how I've been relinquishing that. And so when I'm in a situation where I'm grabbing for straws, like try to find that balance, I lean back to the planner side and like the, the perfectionist side. And I'm just trying to, uh, just be okay with letting go and knowing that I don't have to always be on my P's and Q's <laughs> and I don't have to be perfect and nobody's looking and judging me, um, <laughs> you know, things like that. So, yeah. I definitely feel that because because recently, you know, something I, I've learned about myself is if there are other other people's things that are not in order, it, it could be the, the smallest thing to there's a space that there's a mess that's not my mess, but it but it's not my responsibility you know and i feel that learning to relinquish that need for everything to be in order when it's it's not mine to hold you know um i think that's huge and that that's a great uh, it's just so freeing like um it it's hard right um i've learned about myself it's hard but that relinquishing of i don't own this you know um, I can only control what I can control um, in my present and immediate, you know, where I am. Um, so that's good. That's good. And um, you made me think of something when you said, Rainy, we actually have a guest today that will understand the raininess of um, where you live. Um, and I'm pretty excited about this guest, um, kind of continuing in this vein of uh, bringing um, LGBTQ voices to this uh, this podcast, to the, the Poor River podcast, sharing this table um, with those in the LGBTQ community, hear those experiences um, the, from mental health to just journeying in that that mode of living and just um, helping others understand better um, and helping others know how to come alongside people and, and care for, love them well, help them see flourishing mental health. Right. And so with that, um, I want to go ahead and hand it over to Mac to just go ahead and um, Mac, if you would just introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, where you at really, uh, whatever you want to share, and then we'll get into it, man. All right. Thanks, Jonathan. Kyle. Um, yeah, I'm out here in Seattle, Washington, so I do know a little bit about rain. <laughs> I figured you would. Yeah. Uh, 
So I'm on the other coast. Yeah. <laughs> on the other <laughs> side of the, of the U S and, uh, it's just beautiful here today though. I have to say we have a, a day with it's like 68 degrees and, and I had to get my sunglasses out and that's always a good sign. So, <laughs> yeah. So I'm enjoying that. But, uh, I was born and raised in the South and, um, you know, in the Bible belt, uh, at six years old, I found my soulmate, I will say, I, I call it, and that was the martial arts. And, uh, I truly believe it, it saved my life because I was a kid with a lot of energy and I came from a pretty dysfunctional family. My mom is borderline and bipolar and she's on her 12th marriage now. So she was married five times by the time she was 25. So, and I'm the oldest. So she had me at 16. So, uh, so there is a lot of turbulence as you can imagine. And the dojo was my place to go where there was a lot of positive folks who just were super supportive and, and, uh, you know, let that be my second home. And I was the kind of kid they had to kick out and tell, tell me to go home at night. Cause I loved it so much. <laughs> so I literally ate, drank and sleep, you know, slept the martial arts, uh, um, from the time I was six, you know, until not long ago and I'm still training. Um, and then at 17, I won the United States fighting title and, and I started traveling and competing internationally and, and uh, got a spot on the U.S. karate team, which is a really amazing opportunity um, and rare opportunity. Uh, but back up a little bit, uh, when I was a little kid, uh, you know, in the first test of life, they give a baby where a, a nurse or doctor looks at you in the delivery room and they write what I call the magic letter on a piece of paper. It follows you the rest of your life. And well, they gave me an F in that test. <laughs> That's the letter they wrote on my paper. And uh, at four and five years old, though, I started changing my name to a masculine name, playing with other kids. And I had zero exposure to anybody that was LGBTQ. So all these folks that worry about we're going to make more kids gay or queer or whatever, or, you know, by them knowing about queer people or us talking about it. Well, that <laughs> that's that's really not the case. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because I had zero exposure. I just knew that the the very Southern Bell name that I was given didn't fit me, and the expectations that came along with it didn't fit who I was. So the only way I knew how to explain it as a five year old was to change my name when I was playing with other kids to a masculine name, and that's what I did. Funny story. Some of you might remember that my grandparents helped raise me when I was young, uh, since my mom had me so young. And my grandfather and I used to watch a couple shows every week together and uh, Bonanza and Gunsmoke. You might, you might remember those old shows or you might've seen them on Nick at night on reruns. Oh yeah. <laughs> so I told the kids, my name was Matt Dillon, the sheriff and Gunsmoke. And the kids would come <laughs> knock on the door and ask if Matt Dillon could come out and play. And so of course my grandfather thought that was really cute. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I, I wore my little six shooters and my little sheriff's badge and cowboy hat. Yeah, I, I was running that town, boy, <laughs> as a five-year-old. <laughs> uh, so, you know, then, you know, trying to navigate the world as a, the Southern Baptist world, you know, really as a, as a gender diverse kid, 
who didn't have anybody to talk to about it because I didn't know anybody that was out, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so, and we didn't have the internet back then to find community or be able to talk to anybody about it. Right. So it, it was a very lonely type feeling. Um, so that was interesting. And then of course in church, you know, um, the way I grew up in the Southern Baptist church, the big thing they would threaten you with was, you know, if you didn't, if you were somebody that they thought didn't measure up, basically you were threatened with the loss of community. Um, you know, you were, you were kind of like, they would disenfranchise you kind of, you know, like from the, from the group. Right. And I was this natural superstar athlete. Every, every sport I touched, I went to college on a basketball scholarship. I was a all-star in, in fast pitch softball. I was just, you know, I took to martial arts like uh, a fish to water. I was just, you know, I was, I was just a natural athlete. And, you know, that gave me an outlet, right. To be more masculine uh, at the time. And, and then when I got on the U S karate team and started traveling well, guess what? I found out that there are more LGBTQ people in the world. <laughs> mm-hmm. I wasn't the only one. You know? yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and that was refreshing. <laughs> well, I'm not alone in this. right? Uh, so that that was helpful. Um, but I happen to have really good genetics as an athlete. And I was able to compete at a world class level until I was 39 years old. And, and I'm talking all my awards are in fighting. I even did some bare knuckle fighting. And, and so that's hard on the body and the type of training you do for that is really hard on the body. And so, so to be able to compete, I mean, literally from the time I was a little kid till 39 is, is a, it's just, a, it's amazing. I don't know. Wow. How, I don't know how I did it, but my body just heals quick and held up well. And, um, and when I was 39, I competed in the world championships and I had 18, 19, 20 year olds on the team calling me the grandparent to the team. Cause I was the oldest one on the team, male or female. And so I happened to win two medals in that world championships because sometimes experience pays off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I looked at my watch and said, this is probably a really good time to retire from competition (laughs) on top since these kids are calling me the grandparents. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what I did. I retired. And um, because, you know, the Olympic committee and uh, would not have allowed me to compete had I began medical transition prior to that. And so I knew that was such a rare opportunity and, um, I wanted to ride that ride as long as I could. So as soon as I retired, I began doing research about, you know, uh, transitioning and I wanted to do it in a very healthy way because I, because I, you know, I'm an athlete and then my body has always been a fine tuned machine for me. So I didn't want to approach this in any haphazard way. You know, I, I wanted to, to get the best medical professionals to help me and, and do it in the healthiest way possible. And, Actually, that's what brought me to Seattle because Seattle has a lot of experience. Uh, there are a lot of professionals here with a lot of experience and they have a large uh, gender diverse community and LGBTQ community here. So a lot of support, a lot of folks to talk to and and um, a lot of doctors and therapists and everybody that knows what they're doing with this. So that's what brought me out here. And I visited Seattle a couple of times in the summer 
and the Seattle will seduce you if you come in the summer because <laughs> <laughs> it's beautiful. <laughs> and and um, so then I, I moved out here and, and began my medical transition. And because of my history, so part of what I did, not only competing, but, you know, you're a champion. I was a, a champion martial artist. So I did a lot of public speaking, a lot of motivational speaking. And of course, I was teaching all the time, too. One of the things that martial arts teaches you right away is, you know, you learn something, you turn around and you help teach it to the belts under you. That's just part of the, the deal. That's what you do. So you learn that any knowledge you get is there for you to share with others. And uh, which is, I think, a really great thing. Um, it also helps cement the knowledge in you when you have to turn around and break it down and teach it. Uh, so it's yeah. really good, you know? Yeah. So, and I had run my own dojo that by then, you know, for a long time as well. And I've coached 59 national karate champions. And um, so with my experience teaching and speaking, you know, after I started my transition, some activists here in Seattle said, look, we need someone like you with your teaching ex and speaking experience to help teach people about this journey that don't understand it. And especially people that understand and come from a religious background that can talk to people who, you know, that's their background too, that don't understand it. Um, and, and so that's when I started, you know, I, a friend of mine now gave me the title, the gender sensei, and that marries my my martial arts history with teaching about gender and uh, you know the way we are socialized around gender and and how that can limit us in many ways and so that's basically what I do full time now and I started a nonprofit called Positive Masculinity wrote a book uh, called Positive Masculinity Now and I I teach all over I teach the U.S. Border Patrol police departments, colleges all over about gender. Mm. Yeah. Nice. Well, Mac, thanks for coming on and giving us some time and just sharing all that, man. We, we appreciate it. Um, before we really, you know, go in um, into this conversation, a question we like to ask all of our guests, um, sort of a little fun, you know, beginning icebreaker because this is the pour over podcast that owed to coffee uh, Mac, what is your favorite um, coffee and or brew method? Oh, well, <laughs> you know, in Seattle, there's literally a coffee shop across from a coffee shop. They're all over here, right? It's the home of Starbucks. We have Pete's Coffee here. We have, you know, several different uh, big coffee companies here. And uh, I'm a big fan of a Cafe Mocha. I do have a Southern sweet tooth there. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a latte person, but, uh, you know, but probably mocha is my go-to latte. Um, although sometimes they do run some uh, seasonal ones that I enjoy too. They have a, 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 a taffy one. Uh, mm. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Yeah, there's a bunch of different ones they run that sometimes I'll try out. <laughs> the taffy one sounds kind of delightful. Yeah. And if I can get coconut mocha, like mm -hmm. I love Almond Joys, it's like Almond Joy in a coffee. Oh, yeah. that sounds amazing. Just see that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's my favorite. Mm. <laughs> love it. Love it. Yeah. 
Good stuff. All right. Well, well, I really want to start here um, because uh, most of our listeners know, for at least me, um, and I mean, well, both me and Kyle, you know, we we have a background in being Southern Baptist and kind yeah. of a journey of out of that, you know, deconstruction and kind of rethinking all of that, you know. Yeah. And so where I really want to start and kind of part is you, you mentioned growing up Southern Baptist mm-hmm. and with, with you being trans mm-hmm. there, there, there's a big renewed conversation now. It was kind of dormant for a while, but, but there's a renewed conversation right now within the church in you know, America, when it comes to the conversation of LGBTQ and, you know, including having a theology of inclusion, right? Right. For your journey, Mac, growing up in that context, which is not at all Southern Baptist, when you think Southern Baptist, it's not inclusive, you know, to LGBTQ people. Uh, for for your journey growing up in that context, um, to to did you have to like fully leave to really affirm and accept who you were, or did you become mm-hmm. affirming within that context, and then kind of figured out you weren't going to be welcome there? And then, yeah, I'd love to know a little bit about that journey. Um, you know, being in that context. Sure. Yeah. You know, I am so grateful that I have a brain that ever since I was young was able to, it just works well in critical thinking. So it never made sense to me. You know, I mean, as long as I can remember, because I went to Christian school as well, and a Southern Baptist college. As long as I can remember, you know, I had I had to take Bible classes. That's all part of it, right? That's all. <laughs> and my mind never bought a lot of the crap they were feeding us. And excuse me, I don't mean to offend anybody, but I'm talking about when they would say things like, God is love. But <laughs> yeah. if you're in any of these lists of people. You know, and then they would even tell us as kids in, in Christian school, they made us sign a card that said we, this is very funny, that this was in the, I went to, this was in high school. I even had to do this like in 1979, 1980. You think about this, that we wouldn't roller skate because, you know, roller skating leads to sin. Oh, gosh. <laughs> we wouldn't dance. Because, you know, that's a slippery slope, right? Mm, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> and that we would not associate with people who were not Christian. So on one hand, you talk about a confusing message. They're telling us we're supposed to be fishers of men. We're supposed to go out and preach the gospel and try to lead people. But we're not supposed to talk to anybody that's not or hang out with anybody. 
you know, that's not Christian. So I was like, wait a minute, but God is love and, and loves everybody. Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. God, God loves everybody, but we're supposed to exclude a whole bunch of people, right? Mm-hmm. That's the whole, that's the message that it just never made sense to me. And, um, you know, the biggest trouble I would get in, I was a, a, you know, a good kid. I never got in any big trouble. My big trouble was questioning the Bible teacher. Very respectfully, I would say, ma'am or sir, you know, you said this, then this does, doesn't match with what you said over there yesterday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then they would tell me I'm not supposed to ask so many questions. Right. I'm like, right. wait a minute. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so my journey was interesting you know it was it was i just never bought the message that god didn't if god is love then god loves us all if god made us all in god's image then we all have god in us and mm. no one of us is any better than the other mm. that was what made sense to me right i didn't buy the message that certain people should be left out of that I just didn't buy it. And I certainly didn't buy that. It's for any of us to judge, even if they, <laughs> it's true, right? It's not our job to judge. Right. Right. So yeah. I never took my, my point is I, I'm one of those really rare LGBTQ people that grew up in that environment that I never took it personally as I never thought God didn't like me or God was no. against me. I never, because I just didn't believe that. It just didn't, no. it never made sense. Um, I understood that some people think that I yeah. understood there are people that think that, right. But I didn't yeah. make any sense to me, right. Right. That God would think that, right. If God made me, then God's not going to, you know, just turn their back on me. Right. right. <laughs> That's yeah. And, uh, so I never took that personally. Now I did understand, especially the older I got that I had to carefully navigate some of the people you know, because I was a kid and they had a lot of power over me being accepted in the group and all that. Right. And so, you know, so unfortunately one of the hard things mental health wise about walking that journey is, you know, you, you kind of learn to always be a little bit guarded. Mm. Right. And and you're always questioning who can I trust to be my authentic self and or how much of my authentic self can I be in this room or in, you know, in that room, you know, it's like, yeah, it's, uh, and that is, that's, that is definitely challenging um, to your mental health because you don't know it, it's hard to feel safe. Yeah. Yeah. How, how much did that, did that ever affect any of your, you know, friendships or relationships? Like, um, having to have those guards and walls up because you didn't know who you could trust. Um, and ha- how did you navigate that? Um, and how did you kind of work, work through that? You know, what, what were some tools and things that helped you in your journey in that? Yeah, I definitely, you know, wasn't able to be my full authentic self with a lot of my friendships. Um, and you know, I, I even had some friends say to me after I came out that, that I went to church with, well, why didn't you tell me? And I was like, what do you mean? Why didn't I tell you seriously? Because I didn't yeah. know where you'd land, right? You know, on this, right? It's like, um, so yeah, it's, it's, 
it's interesting because I think you have to get to a place and a point where I did at least that my authenticity became more important than pleasing anyone else. So I had to be ready. I had to get to a place before I fully came out where I was okay with whoever walked away. And I knew that that was a risk and I knew that a, a lot of people could walk away, Yeah, you know, but living, you know, like feeling like you have to hide a parts of yourself. That's not real friendship either. And that's not, you know, no, that, that's not, not at all. yeah. So, you know, I got to a, a place where I was just ready to, to do that and just let the chips fall where they may. Mm. And, uh, yeah. And, and it was interesting to see how people reacted. It was really interesting because like I said, some of them, they brought it back to themselves. They didn't even think about the whole thing I was going through, mm. but I thought I was your good friend. You didn't tell me. Mm. And I'm like, think about where we were always when we hung out, right? We were in church youth group. Right. Right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yeah 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 i mean think about the context you know right. southern yeah. baptist like yeah it's a scary place to you know do that uh to oh come yeah out. like you know yeah. Um, yeah, like you said like the safety thing being able to yeah. judge is this person safe enough for me to share this with or yeah. can i share this part of myself with this person and um, I would imagine that's really hard in navigating that in a space where, you know, you, they told you that um, we're loving and accepting, but on the other hand, they didn't really believe what they preached. The, the, what I see very often in themes are the, uh, in the church is cognitive dissonance where, you know, they say one thing and they believe another. And so right. I can only imagine what it was like having to kind of go into a space and, and figure out, is this a safe space for me? Can I share that part of my life? You know? Well, yeah. And again, I was the super, I was a super popular kid. Like I was the star athlete at our high school and all that. So, I mean, it wouldn't have been a little thing. Right. Right. If this had leaked out, right. It would have been yeah. like, Oh my God. You know? right, <laughs> like, right. Yeah. right. Yeah. 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 And, and especially, I mean, layer on top of there, you grew up in, uh, I mean, the South, the Bible belt, you know, yeah. there, there's another complicated layer there with just oh. that not even just being in a conservative christian space but just being in the south yeah like oh yeah the whole you know yeah the whole environment right is set up uh, to shame people around things like this mm -hmm. right i mean i have to think about i covered up this is an interesting thing i covered up how many times my mother had been married because of that same southern shame mm. in the church mm. because i so i never let anybody at school know how turbulent it was or at church how turbulent it was at my house because and her in and out of relationships because i didn't want that judgment mm. and here's an interesting thing that happened my little brother who's almost four years younger than me uh he slipped and told somebody something about mom being married several times uh one of his friends and these and it got back to his friend's mother and you know the whole women's church circle 
then the pastor's sister comes and says to my little your my little brother who was like in sixth grade that your mother must be demon possessed because she's been married so many times now my little brother ran home upset of course you know you hear from these people you look up to the church leaders that your mother must be demon possessed it's going to upset a kid Mm. you know i mean and he's never gone back to church since Mm. yeah and i mean you just think about the the crazy things these people say to kids you know sometimes it's just like oh my gosh the damage it does right and you do it in the name of god you know it's like come on in the name of supposedly loving god right that that was a real loving thing to say to my little brother right yeah 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 Yeah. and just i mean this is just a a small aside you know i in my own journey just kind of like renegotiating and figuring out you know what is my relationship to my own faith to yeah. uh, the Bible, Jesus, all those kind of things. Yeah, it, I, I finally come to a point where I figured out like so much of what Western Christianity would call abomination, sin, whatever mm-hmm. disgust, you know, kind of reaction you would, yeah, creating people with those terms is just a negotiating of between peoples of what is and what isn't sin, basically, you know, and when it comes to this conversation, LGBTQ people that Mm -hmm. are inherently loved and, you know, deserving of dignity and like autonomy and equality, all those good things, the 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 negotiation between peoples to label lgbtq as an out or it being a sin etc i mean ultimately it's just for like boundary maintenance it's for structuring of uh power and values like that's really all it is and but i'm encouraged by more and more people that are christians that are speaking out uh And are deciding that the boundary maintenance and the structuring of power and values when it comes to this is no longer more important than the lives and the people and the mental health of this group that deserves love, deserves dignity. Um, Yeah, that that's been my own journey of kind of thinking through and like kind of uh, renegotiating things for my own journey, you know? Yeah. Yeah, they're definitely, you know, one of the interesting things about moving out here to Seattle is so many churches out here are welcoming and affirming to LGBTQ people. I mean, churches out here hang the gay flag up. I mean, lots of churches. Yeah. You know, it's very common here. Um, They're just much more open minded and it's not just the unity church or just the mcc church it's it's a lot of churches here that are like that and um that was shocking to me when i first moved here yeah. i'm like what yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah but you know it's also uh refreshing and uh you know a lot more i mean even the 
even the Pope has come out and said things now, this new Pope that are just shock people, you know, that gay people are leave, leave gay people alone. They're fine. You know, it's like, what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I think they're, you know, the tides are changing. Yeah. In that. Yeah. You know, but as we know, a lot of that takes a lot of time to, to, to trickle out. Yeah. 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 And that, that, that's, that's exactly why we, you know, we have conversations um, like this, you know, just, just because those that don't understand can say, Hey, like there, there's a just regular person like me that I'm listening to that has a life that, yeah. you know, eats and breathes and uses the bathroom and has relationships just like I do. Yeah. You know, still have to do the dishes and walk the dog and take the trash. Exactly. <laughs> so, so yeah. So, so, people can be cared for better mental health can can flourish you know and just we we can always we 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 finally see some equality and some just goodness in our communities um for sure yeah 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 one thing you know one thing i think that i want to bring up because uh i think a lot of folks especially folks with um a faith background a lot of folks have a lot of misunderstanding and confusion around a lot of the discussion now about transgender kids and we do not do surgeries they nobody does surgeries on trans kids nobody's doing that so it's nothing to be afraid of um what they what they do for young people that come out as trans is they do something called hormone blockers if they you know, catch them before puberty really hits in. And all that does is put puberty on a pause. Yeah. That's all it does is it puts puberty on a pause. They've done this for other things. They've done it for diseases in children for a long time that they didn't want to progress. And, um, but they use those for trans kids until the kid's old enough to like, then make a decision on if they want to, you know, be able to start hormone replacement therapy or do, you know, what they want to do. Um, and that just like, literally when they stop taking those, the, their puberty goes, they go right back into puberty like they normally would. So yeah, it doesn't, it's not a, it's not a, you know, irreversible thing is the point. <laughs> yeah. 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 You, you would Mac, you would probably make Matt Walsh's head explode. <laughs> So I don't know if you know, but I've been featured on the 700 Club twice. Oh, uh, we I, hear I've been on that. PTL. I've been featured on the 700 Club. Yeah, I have a lot of people. And that was back when I had my uh, my Farrah Fawcett hair. Now I'm going to date myself. I had that. Yeah, I had this, you know, you got to have big, long Southern hair. And so I did. And I was kicking for Jesus back then, uh, you know, in my martial arts. And, and I was, you know u.s fighting champion uh and so they featured me on there a couple of times and a lot of people have said boy you should go back on now <laughs> you should have your people contact him and go back on pat robertson to have the big one when he sees you now <laughs> you <know? laughs> oh. so be an interesting conversation <laughs> yes it would so the 700 club how how did i i got to hear that story <laughs> Well, the first time, um, the first time they actually sent a film crew to my home in Florida and, um, and they did a whole story on my martial arts accomplishments and, 
and uh, you know, what all I was doing. And that was fun. And then the second time they brought me out to Virginia beach to their headquarters. And that was pretty wild. Actually, um, Ben Kinchlow, I don't know if you remember him. He used to be a co-host, um, really cool guy, but he was a black belt in martial arts. Mm. And so he actually did my segment. And, uh, so I got to hang out and talk with him. And he, since he had a martial arts background, you know, we had a pretty good conversation, but, uh, they had me demonstrate some things on there and it was, it was a lot of fun. Nice. Yeah. They, I mean, they treat you really well when they bring you out. I will say that they took yeah, really good yeah. care of me. Um, and they, you know, their film, their folks are very professional. Um, yeah. So yeah. 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 It was, I mean, that's cool. It though. I mean, it's, it's not every day that you get featured on the 700 club. Right? <laughs> Old Pat Robertson. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, I I've been like I was on the cover of uh Christian Woman Woman's Day. Like I was I've been on all these crazy things. Mm-hmm. Been in People magazine, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. No. Nah. <laughs> yeah. You've lived a life, Mac. Right. <laughs> it's it's not been boring, I will say that. <laughs> right. <laughs> I would imagine. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, you know, due to my due to my um long history in the martial arts, um, you know, prior to transition, I was collectively the highest ranking female martial artist in the world. And uh so I was featured on a lot of stuff, been on Ripley's Believe It or Not, the Learning Channel, Discovery Channel, all kinds of stuff. And um and I also did some bodyguarding for some famous folks. And so that actually also got some that's what got me the article people magazine and billboard magazine and all that so yeah yeah i bet you have a lot of interesting (laughs) stories for sure (laughs) yeah so so something i would love to he talk about a little bit mac is um we we we've had talked a little bit in in previous episodes about you know kind of creative outlets and how they're good for um our mental health and i would love to hear about how you um, competing in competitive martial arts, if there was an intersection there to a positivity in your mental health, how that helped your mental health? Oh yeah. You know, I, I, I said earlier when I called martial arts, my soulmate that I was this kid with a lot of energy. I'll tell you a funny Southern saying, my grandfather used to say to me, you're like a fart in a whirlwind. (laughs) You're you're never still, you know, you're always moving. Oh, that's funny. (laughs) One of his Southern things. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He was a hoot, but, but you know what that did? One of the things I did was I, I'm always, I've always been somebody that needs to work emotional things out through my body. And I actually believe, we all need to do this. I think when we're too stagnant, we don't, we don't work things through our body, you know, then, then literally our cells have intelligence. Each living cell in our body has its own intelligence. And, and, you know, then your energy can get like blocked up, I think in your body and and it can actually cause you some health issues. But what I think that that's what my training did for me while I was going through all the stress of my mother's marriages and breakups and some of violence in those relationships and things is, is I was able to go and really work it through my, my body, you know, let the stress out of what was going on physically, um, which 
I think was just I can't I can't even put a value on it. Probably saved my little brother's life because he's a pain in the butt. But <laughs> but you know, like like all younger siblings are. <laughs> yeah. Right. But you know, it also allowed me to be more even keeled dealing with it as the oldest. I had to pick up the pieces from my mom's mental health issues and and all of that a lot of the times, you know, and I was having to help take care of my little brother when she couldn't pull it together to do it. And, and I think that that is what helped keep me so even keeled is that I had that outlet, Mm -hmm. you know, to work all that out uh, physically, even though I was afraid to talk about some of it because of the shame around that kind of thing in the South, you know, Mm -hmm. um, there's also shame there about mental health issues, as you know. Yeah. I mean, one of the things, you know, my na- my Nana was very big on. I love my grandparents. They were just amazing. But she was very big on, you know, you know, the whole Southern thing. If you don't air your family's laundry out to anybody else. Mm-hmm. So it's like that whole thing. I keep the family secret, you know, that your mom's got a mental illness, you know, because it's mm-hmm. because people are taught to be ashamed of it, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's hard. And that's a lot to carry as a kid. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's also one of the things I've talked to, I have so many friends now that are therapists and they actually bring me in to teach gender to, um, you know, therapists have to go back for continuing education a lot. And I go and and do some of those trainings for them around Mm -hmm. the way we were socialized around gender and how, you know, and it's really, it's really great. But, um, what I was going to say is a lot of my friends that are therapists, you know, say with, with the illnesses my mother has borderline and bipolar, those are really tough. It's a tough combination. Yeah. Um, and there aren't many children that have grown up in those environments that are able to talk intelligently about their experience mm-hmm. and they need people to because therapists want to understand better because, you know, it's what, you know, most of these clients that have things like this only see the therapist once a week, maybe, you know, if that, or, you know, once every other week. Right. So they want to understand what it's like to grow up in that. But one of the things that I found interesting is if my mom had had, let's just pick something, heart disease, the doctors would have sent us home when she would have an episode because she was hospitalized several times for those. The doctors would have sent us home with a list of things to do to help her be well, right? What make sure she doesn't eat these things and she eats like this. And, you know, she gets, goes for a walk every day, you know, this kind of stuff. They'd have given us some tools to help, but with mental illness and especially in the South, they wouldn't tell us anything unless she okayed them to talk to us and she wouldn't because she was taught the same shame around it all Mm -hmm. so even the times she would try to commit suicide and they'd hold her for 72 hours they wouldn't tell us anything except we're holding her Mm -hmm. and then she would come home and here i'm the oldest having to try to figure it out and you know and they don't tell you anything so you don't have any tools to help. You don't know if you're crazy. They wouldn't even exactly tell us the diagnosis. I didn't find that out till much later. Mm. Um, and my grandparents, the same thing. They wouldn't talk to them. Mm. 
you know, so you're all fumbling around trying to figure it out and you don't even know what you're dealing with. You know, It's yeah. just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's very frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can definitely see how martial arts was a good outlet for you. Um, yeah. 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 And the people there were super supportive too. And, and uh, you know, they knew that most of the kids, you know, their parents would be there and come to the competitions and mine didn't. Uh, and, you know, so parents would give me a ride or make an extra sandwich and bring it for me or they, they just really stepped up. They were really, I'm really grateful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. So what would in, you say? Uh, oh, sorry, I'm go ahead, Cal. To know a little bit more if you're, if you're willing to share more about, you know, your transition journey. Um, yeah. How did that, you know, how did that go for you as far as when you, you started that and took those steps and um, what did you learn? What are, what are some things you took from that and, mm -hmm. and how did you navigate it? You know, I'd love to hear more about yeah. that. Well, um, there's a lot of changes that happen fast when you start that journey. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a bit of a whirlwind. Yeah. So for those that don't know, and not every, you know, everybody transitions a little differently. I will say this, there's not a right or wrong way to do it. Uh, people have to evaluate what works for them in their life. And, and um, so I, I started something called HRT, which is, stands for hormone replacement therapy. And when you start that on my end from female to male, then you're taking testosterone. And testosterone is a very, very powerful, it's a very powerful drug. I don't think most people, they, I mean, we all have some of it, no matter what gender you are, no matter what sex you were born at birth, we all have some in our system, right? We all have some of both. That's what a lot of people don't remember from biology is <laughs> we yeah. all actually have some of both estrogen and testosterone. Uh, but the more testosterone you have, um, you know, it's, it's just so powerful when you start taking these uh, shots of testosterone is, is you go through another puberty. Mm -hmm. So anybody who starts HRT on either side of the, of the spectrum, you start to go through a second puberty. So I'm sure a lot of people just want to run, sign up for that right now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you're, you know, you've become scatterbrained a little more because, you know, I don't know if you remember puberty, you couldn't, yeah think very yeah, well yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know and uh my you know i already had a i was already a lower second tenor before starting testosterone mm. now i sing lower bar baritone so there you go. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so my voice was constantly changing you know you go through that um but it literally changes the physiology of your body so if you looked at old pictures of me and I'm happy to provide some, if you want to put them up with your thing, because I'm one of those few trans people that's not, since my transition was very public and my pictures were all over, you know, it's not, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, and it looks, I look, when I look at those pictures to me now, it looks like somebody I was having to play in a movie for a period of time. So, uh, but my jaw is wider, much more square. You know, mm -hmm. your neck thickens, your chest thickens, your shoulders broaden, my feet widened, your hips narrow. It's like, that's how powerful testosterone, it literally changes the makeup of the physiology of your body. I mean, it's right. just like, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Um, and, 
you know what the scientist i had a i had a neuroscientist on my radio show i have a radio show called the you can make a difference show and i had a neuroscience um, scientist on my radio show and he has said that they have done lots of brain imaging on people like me who knew who i was from very young like that you know when i mm -hmm. knew that i was masculine very young he said in and he said we can show you the difference between a male brain and a female brain and he said, what we've seen in trans people like you who knew from very young, your brain is already wired male. Mm -hmm. And what they attribute that to is an, uh, an infant in utero can get splashed with different hormones. And they're doing lots of research about this now. And so, uh, you know, that can help make some of those changes is what they're, they're you know, yeah. <laughs> so what science is figuring out now. So um, it's all a spectrum is is what it is and yeah. so yeah it was it was an interesting journey you know there's some of the changes i of course i expected because i got to talk to people that have been through it um i think so, the things i didn't expect and i had a great doctor you know like i said i was very careful about how i do this so that helps a lot when you have a great doctor that you feel like you can communicate well with and and my doctor said to me, if we get these hormones right, you're going to feel more at home than you ever have in your body. And if you don't tell me and we'll make sure we'll adjust it till you do. And so she's been great. And she's right. I feel more at home in my body than I ever have really. Mm -hmm. um, and the things I didn't expect were more emotional. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so as a top female athlete my experience prior to transition um and small business owner i owned a dojo you know um i experienced a lot of sexism on that side of the world mm. um as you can imagine you know the world of sports is very male dominated the world of martial arts is very male dominated so i had experienced my share of that you know um especially because i was li still living in the south and there's even more of that in the south um yeah. So, you know, I understood that. And then when I started hormone replacement therapy, um, you go through a couple of years where you're kind of in this in-between phase while these changes are happening. And then people aren't quite sure which category to put you in. And that makes people very uncomfortable. You see how differently they treat you there. Yeah. yeah. And now on the other side of this, there's definitely some things that I didn't expect. Um. I will say sexism is still alive and well, even in a liberal area. Because mm -hmm. um, Seattle is a, you know, probably one of the more liberal areas in the United States, right? And there's still sexism. <laughs> right. There's still a big yeah. gender pay gap here, even, you know, but, and things like that. But I mean, if I walk into a restaurant now, they look at me as a middle-aged businessman and they will walk right past a woman that's been there longer than me waiting and ask if I'm ready to be seated. Mm. that's yeah. just a, a an example for instance but because of my life experience i notice it and see it yeah. and call it out yeah yeah and and you know it's just these things are on my radar because i had that live experience in a way that's different from the average guy yeah and one of the things i do in positive masculinity you know when i'm talking and teaching to men uh, you know because we have a like men's discussion group every month and anybody can join from anywhere uh, cause it's virtual and we like that because people have joined from all over the place. Uh, we talk about these things, you know, and I help 
because there's a lot of guys that really want to be more of an ally and supportive of women. And I explain these things to them, you know, and they hopefully it puts it more on their radar. Right. Right. You know, but the first time too, I was walking down the street, you know, in, in downtown area in the evening, you know, with my beard and <laughs> looking like this and a woman crossed the street to, because she didn't know if she was safe because you know, she saw me walking down the street. She doesn't know if I'm safe. She doesn't know my story. That really hurt. That really hit me hard. Yeah. You know, just because I've spent a lot of my life empowering women, teaching them self-defense and how to take care of themselves and with my experience. And, you know, I understood it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yet it was hard to take. Yeah, yeah. for sure. For sure. You know. You've, well, you've, you. you've uh, kind of touched at something that um is is i've i've picked up a little bit in this conversation it was back when you you were talking about you know the physicality of uh, martial arts and that helping your mental health and you you used the words um in in your body yeah and then you you know, you, you were, you used the words, you know, being your authentic self, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and all these kind of things. And I think, I think embodiment is an important intersection uh, to this conversation specifically, but I, I think for so many people, we have been taught a disembodied way of living. Yes. That like we can't trust ourselves, we can't trust our bodies when our bodies are are trying to speak to us, they're trying to tell us things, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think when we have the permission and the room and the tools to live an embodied life, we live more holistically. We get to actually be in tune with who we are, what we like, what we dislike, like, and not what people tell us we need to like and dislike. And, yeah. But an example of a way that I think this intersects well, like the idea of embodiment and then, you know, um, gender, sexuality, et cetera, the male-female binary that, mm -hmm. you know, we're given um, to be a male, like you don't, paint your fingernails you don't dress a certain way right like you you don't like a certain kind of music right. and i think that's that that's a an example of that disembodied living i think if we again if we're given the permission to live in our bodies to to be in touch with our bodies and be told it's okay to be comfortable with your body and listen to it, yeah. what you like, what you dislike, all those kind of things. Mm -hmm. I think we have much better holistic ways of living, better conversations around this stuff about gender and sexuality. Oh, definitely. And you'll have also better. Um, I think it enhances your relationships as well. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah when there's a disconnect, it's really uh, we're missing so much. And I think some of that starts from, look, a lot of folks don't go out in nature at all anymore. Hardly, you know, it's like, yeah, <laughs> right. When's the last time you let your feet touch the grass or the, 
or you, you know, you actually were out there in nature, you know, getting your hands, you know, I like to plant and garden and it's one of those things to me that's really grounding. And I think that's part of being embodied and our connection to the, to the earth is a part of that too. One of the reasons why yeah. I think people can go, ah, you know, whatever the climate or whatever, but that's another separation, right? Because yeah. if we're not in touch with it, yeah, then it's yeah. easy. It's easy to, you know, kind of ignore it. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I and think I, that that helps us be embodied, you know, getting out in nature because it reminds us, right, to, I think we have to touch the earth a little bit every week. It's like I urge, you know, and I just got done talking to a bunch of high school students this morning and I urge them to do these things. You know, here they live in a big city of Seattle. And like, when's the last time you guys, you know, let your feet actually touch the earth? Yeah. You know, get out there. Yeah. You know, I remember my biggest thing as a kid I loved to do is just go and fish with my grandfather or run around the woods and collect rocks. And, you know, like there's something about that getting out in nature that is just, well, it's healthy for us. It's just healthy for us. That's where the vitamin D from sun. Yeah, right. Yeah, totally. (laughs) I remember when I was a kid, I used to love getting in the really soft grass not the ones with that have a little like pricklers in them i called right. them. oh i hated that in the south it was what is yeah. crap grass or that yeah. was horrible but find the softest grass take off my shoes and just feel the grass oh, underneath yeah. like that there was nothing like that feeling and i have not done that in a long time it incur- you encourage me to go hey, do that. there we go <laughs> yeah. there we go that, just that feeling thinking about those feelings that it invoked when i just just put my feet in the soft grass and just let it stay there. Just the feeling of it and the, the sensory nature of everything happening around me was was uh, nothing like that experience for me, at least in my experience. Right. So, and yeah. it see what you're just talking about is being embodied because it brings you back to being embodied. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Same thing when you you take your shoes off and walk on the beach. You know, there's something yeah, about that, right? Yeah. And feeling the yeah. sand between your toes, and you know, there's something yeah, about yeah. that, right? Yeah. Yeah. It does. It's hard not to be embodied when you're in nature and you're really in it like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, science, science will show us. I mean, it lowers our blood pressure. It, you know, it does all kinds of things, right? Right. For our health. So, yeah. Yeah. It's all around us. All right. Well, I want to turn a corner here and then kind of go towards kind of land this plane. Um, Talk about your nonprofit uh, for a minute. I would love for you to be able to share a little bit. Uh, maybe some of our listeners are directed to it and get some goodness from what you're doing with positive masculinity. Um, I'd love to hear what is what does positive masculinity mean to <laughs> Mac? Yeah, well, you know, first of all, I got a download about doing this um, in the height of the me too movement. And so all these people were talking about the patriarchy and toxic masculinity, and there weren't men involved really in the conversation in a healthy way. And so it just came to me that I had also read bell hooks, the activist and teacher and author who said that the first victim of the patriarchy are little boys. And the reason she said that is because the patriarchy teaches them to shut parts of themselves down from a very young age. 
And, you know, then I'm watching this conversation and I'm realizing that there men are not talking about how the patriarchy has also hurt us. Right. It's yeah. also hurt people that are masculine um, in many ways. Um, so I thought we need to be a part of that conversation. So I basically got this vision of, of uh, all kinds of different guys, you know, different ages, different ethnic backgrounds, different life experiences coming together to talk about these things in a safe container where uh, everyone's just being there to be supportive of one another's growth and giving each other space, you know, to, to talk about that and heal from that but also be a part of creating a healthier model of masculinity for all of us moving forward. Now I'm going to say that my hope in the future is that we don't, we get rid of a binary system because I think gender like sexuality is a huge spectrum. Yeah. There's not one way to be masculine. There's not one way to be feminine. There are many ways. Um, and so that to me right there is some of what positive masculinity is, but the old model of masculinity, the traditional model wasn't even accepting to all cisgender and the word cis means matching, just so you know, in biology. So cis means you were born with your body matching how you feel inside, according to today's uh, standards, right? Societal standards. And the word trans in biology means opposites. So that's where it comes from, those root words of cis and trans. Um and so what I'm saying is the old version, the traditional version of masculinity wasn't even accepting to all cisgender men. Yeah. Because if they didn't fit the physical macho, you know, tough guy, John Wayne type, you know, masculinity, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> right. You know, to give a younger version, the rock, whoever, you know. Right. <laughs> If you weren't this, uh, although The Rock is a pretty progressive guy, but I'm talking about the physical tough guy image. Yeah. Um, you know, I've seen pictures of The Rock having tea parties with his daughter, and it's adorable when she he lets her paint his nails. And uh, <laughs> he sits at the little tea party table with her. It's adorable. <laughs> yeah, you're all a tough guy until the four-year-old makes you have a tea right. party. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I love it. But you know, uh, positive masculinity is being more inclusive of all different types of masculine people. Hmm. You know, one of the people that I think almost anybody looks up to and thinks was an amazing human was Fred Rogers. And he didn't fit that tough guy image. There's right. a great example of a guy who never would have fit into that. And I'm sure he got bullied hmm. because he was a tender, very intellectual guy. Right. Hmm. He just didn't fit that, yeah. <laughs> you know? So, um, I'm talking about a masculinity that's more inclusive, that's growth minded, that's emotionally intelligent, um, and that's heart led, mm. you know, that, that is not afraid to show that men too can be nurturing men too can be tender and compassionate. Mm. And that's actually strength. It takes strength to show those things. Yeah. And, and right? men can too also love Taylor Swift. Sure. Men can love Taylor Swift. Yes. Jonathan. Just, <laughs> Jonathan is a huge fan of Taylor Swift. I am. I just well, I'm, a huge, out there. I'm a huge pink fan. So there oh, you go. Nice. There you go. Wow, nice. Both great ones. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Her shows are amazing. They're like 
Cirque du Soleil shows. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> if only their tickets weren't so expensive like this. Oh, I know. Gosh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I'm talking about a masculinity that's more inclusive and it even includes not being threatened by women and mm. being able to be an ally and supportive of women and not, not to feel threatened of people that are different as well as being inclusive of LGBTQ people, because the old model of masculinity was not inclusive, of course, to anybody in the LGBTQ community either. Mm. Right. Um, yeah. So I'm talking about just something that's healthier moving forward. That's more conscious. Mm. Yeah. You know, my hope is that we, we evolve to be better <laughs> humans. Right. Right. <laughs> For sure. For sure. And, and you know, the highest, um, the group that has the highest suicide rate is middle-aged white men. Mm. Now I want us to think about that for a minute because, you know, I think some of that old traditional masculine modeling has a lot to do with that. Some mm. of those messages are that we always have to be strong. Mm. Well, that's mm. not possible. Right. You know, that sets us up for failure that we always have to be self-sufficient. Well, that's not possible either. And, you know, we forget that we're actually pack animals, right? We're, we're right, meant to right. live in community together. Right, right? Right. <laughs> and, and yet we, we get the message to be self-sufficient as a part of a pack. That's kind of doesn't make sense. Right. Yeah. Right, right. yeah well, Mac, you, Mac, you just hit on something a second ago with the point you just made, you were talking about, you know, just helping uh, men accept the idea and, you know, people with your nonprofit accept the idea that masculinity, like, can look nurturing, can look, you know, caring. And those things are, act that's actually a form of strength, right? And, yes. you know, you... Yes, you, it's about embracing vulnerability, right? Exactly. <laughs> and, yeah. and you just pointed out the, um, the always having to be... Always having to, the pup joined us all. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, did somebody say nurturing? Right. <laughs> you can love me, okay. <laughs> but always having to be strong and um, this intersecting with like men not feeling they can talk about their mental yeah. health, right? That's right. And getting help that... Mm you need and deserve is actually one of the strongest things that you can do. That's like one yes. of, that's actually a, a, a strength. Like, listen, yes. my, my mental, I I'm going through like some depression, some anxiety. Like I, I need to talk to a therapist like that. That's a strong move. It sure is. You know? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, it's very vulnerable to do that. Right. Um, yeah. And you know, that's one of the one of the other messages that goes along with that, that that men are taught is that we're always in competition with one another. And that's another thing I think that aids in us having a hard time asking for help, because mm -hmm. when I can tell you as a world class competitor, you never want to show your weaknesses to someone you're in competition with. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. right? So that message that we're always playing a lifelong game of king of the hill. <laughs> Right, right. You know, when I put it that way, it gets people to laugh because they they picture that because we all played King of the Hill at some point growing up. Yeah, we know. But that's kind of how we're taught to navigate life as masculine people is that you always have to be the, 
you know, the biggest businessman, the toughest guy, everything is a competition, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then that that does create obstacles to us asking for help. And it also creates obstacles. I love what you two are doing. You're collaborating. It creates op- obstacles to us collaborating more together. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, we're much stronger when we band together. 100%. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so it is it is a big deal. It is a, a sign honestly of courage and bravery to ask for help. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I thank you for doing what you do with that cuz there e- even though I I know that it's a minority, but it's they they're really loud. There there's a lot of mm-hmm. part of this is just things that America has to reckon with that she has yet to reckon with. Um, Yeah. Part of the reason we still have this culture of violence in America, but there, there is a lot of loud violent men in our cultural moment right now. And we need voices like yours to bring this different message of masculinity. And so we appreciate what you're doing, Mac. And like, thank you. Bringing, you know, this, this to the world and helping, us think better about masculinity. Well, you know what I do? The reason I wrote my book is because of this and because I wanted to help people be able to go back as conscious adults and question the way they were socialized. This this is how I wor- run my workshops. Basically, I put it in a book, you know, where I walk you through going back through the way you were socialized around how to be a man or how to be a woman in the world you know, how you have to walk that and navigate that in this crazy world and look at who were your role models and what did you learn from them and what messages did you get from your community, your school, your faith community and on and on. And then let's look at that and go by, you know, go to each one and go, does this still serve me well today? Hmm. You know, how is this me trying to act like I'm always strong? How is that serving me today? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And if I can look at these one by one and, and find where it's not serving me, I can then replace it with something healthy. Yeah. You know, and that's what I do in the book. Each, each chapter in my book has worksheets in the back of the chapter that walk you through some exercises that help you, you know, look back at the way you were socialized. Cause some of them, you know, some of those messages we got, nobody, blatantly sometimes says it but you know because you see other people shamed if they don't do it right Mm -hmm. they're just messages right that are taught to us by the actions we see in our community oh if you do that you get shamed right so yeah i better not do that right 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 Yeah. yeah yeah what's the name of your book positive masculinity now Okay. It's available on Amazon, uh, both in Kindle and print. And uh, this summer, the audio book will be coming out. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It is on my reading list when I was scrolling through your Instagram (laughs) and I saw it. Um, Last two questions and then we'll finally land this plane again. Mac, thanks for (laughs) making some time, man. Of course. What did through through writing a book about positive positive masculinity was there anything new that you learned about yourself as a transgender man? 
in the process of writing maybe the research that went to the book or mm. anything that helped you reflect on i don't know anything that you learned about yourself well i will well i did <laughs> i tell you i learned a lot writing this book i mean i've written many published articles you can look up my articles on the huffington post and all over um but writing a book is a different beast um and you know they say like 82 percent of the people in the world say they want to write a book and one percent of the people that say that actually follow through and do it mm. it's because it's a big job it's like you're it's like you're birthing something yeah right. and then you put it out into the world and you and then people are going to sit and you know do all kinds of things with it they're going to sometimes misquote you they're going to they're going to read your book and and like you know who knows the messages they get out of it or what they it's just, it's, a, it's a wild and scary ride um as far as research i think the biggest thing that stood out to me is i have you know um a chapter in there about institutional um patriarchy and and toxic masculinity and i think my goodness and and just the history of also binary systems and how they're used to keep people in their lane and to bit one against the other. Anytime you have a binary systems, let's just talk about the rich and the poor. That's a binary system, right? Yeah. The haves and the have nots. Right. And you're kind of bidding one against the other that you can't even fully define one without the other to help define it, mm. which is the same way gender has been used, right? That it's only two ends of the spectrum, right? Yeah. <laughs> And if you ask people, what is masculinity? If I ask you to define masculinity for me without using a body part, how would you describe it? I've asked this question to groups all over the world. I've literally teaching workshops all the way to South Africa, all over the world. I've done this. And it's so interesting to try to, to for people, they're like stumbling to come up with something. Yeah. Most people can't describe it or they'll say, Something like, oh, well, masculine people are more mechanically minded. And then another person will go, well, yeah, but my aunt Sue is the one in the family that fixes everything. or <laughs> You know, and they'll debunk that. Right. So they keep coming up with like personality traits. But we all know those could be anywhere on the map. Right. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and also we're not taking into consideration how much the way we're socialized around gender have helped form some of those personality traits. I mean, think about it. How many women were told you're not supposed to be mechanically minded, right? Probably a lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's a, it's been a wild ride, but you know, my hope, I mean, and anybody, any gender, even though it's called positive masculinity, I mean, I talk also about the feminine side in here. Um, I just tackled, you know, and called it masculinity and spent a little more time on that because that has been, you know, max masculinity affects a lot of how our world is run. Right. Yeah. It's what it, it's, it's what causes every war we've been in that whole masculine minded thinking, mm -hmm. you know? So, I mean, I wanted to really dive deep into that. Yeah. 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 Nice. Yeah. Thanks for sharing with us, man. Sure. Thank you. Yeah. It's been a great conversation.
Yeah, yep. for sure. It's uh, also been great to get to know you in between the record. Yes, and, yes, and we've had some fun. I feel like we've developed a, a deeper, uh, deeper friendship. I feel like as yeah. not just mm-hmm. and um, we we've already talked about meeting up maybe when we're in Seattle again or yeah. when you're here. You know, get a get a beer or a cup of coffee whichever come to Asheville that's right I'm gonna come out your way too (laughs) thank you for taking the time and and joining us and uh just sitting at the table and sharing your experiences and allowing us to to hold that and our audience to to hold that with you and and things like that thank you Mac last thing I would love to hear just in your words because um what there there are going to be people that listen to this that are going to have that friend, that family member sometime in their journey, walking with them that, that comes out to them, whether, you know, lesbian, gay, bi, trans, you know, somewhere within that spectrum. What encouragement would you from Matt give to that friend to walk, walk alongside that person? Well, Be a good listener. Mm. Yeah, I would say number one, be a good listener and and open to learn. Just open to learn about their journey. Um, And if there's things you don't understand, um, if they're just coming out, they may not be in a place to educate you. You know, it's it's like um, one of the things I remind people is I am called. My calling is to be a teacher. But not every trans person feels the calling to educate you about trans issues. Yeah. And they shouldn't have to. Just like every person of color shouldn't have to educate us as white people about racism. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? They shouldn't have to. Like, we we can go do some of our own, like, work on this. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or take a class, you know? Like, yeah. yeah. Um, and, And so I think, you know, just being careful and sensitive and saying, I want to be here to support you and listen. The best thing you can do as a good friend to anybody that's, that's navigating something that is new. Just let them know you're there for them. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Solid advice. One One other suggestion. One other thing that I think this is important to say is don't out your friend to anybody else. It's their job to out themselves. So just because they confide in you doesn't mean they're ready to tell everyone. And I think that's a really important thing for folks to understand. A lot of people, when they start to come out, they do it a little at a time. You know, they're like trying to navigate where they feel okay to do that. And so please don't um, do that for them. Let them do that as they're ready. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Mac, thanks again. Um, uh, for giving us your time, sharing your journey with us. And like Kyle said, coming to our table. Um, so appreciate it. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, positive masculinity now, and I'll have all of Max stuff, um, linked down in the show notes for you guys. So you can go straight to him, check out what he's doing. I'll have a link to the book as well. So y'all can easily grab that. Um, but as always, Thank you guys for coming to our table and we will catch you guys on the next episode. Peace. See ya.